0: Hey, everybody, this is Brian Smith, back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And today I've got with me Jonathan Aslay. Uh, Jonathan's written a book about uh, dating in midlife, and Jonathan also has a son that's in spirit, and uh, we call those shining light parents. People have, uh, have children in spirit. So I'm going to introduce Jonathan. We're going to talk about uh, relationships. We're going to talk about grief and, and those types of things. Um, so Jonathan is um, one of America's leading midlife dating coaches. And he's expanding on a deeper essential philosophy of what it truly means to love. After Jonathan lost his 19-year-old son, Connor, in 2018, his grief led him on a soul-surging inner journey where he became aware of an often overlooked dimension of the dating conversation. And he realized the process of dating reveals the most common emotional health issue faced by many singles that are seeking a partner, and that is a distressing lack of self-love, self-work, self-regard, and self-love. So, today he's on a mission of encouraging both women and men to fully love themselves in his book that's entitled What the Heck is Self Love Anyway, which is packed with fun, engaging spiritual and personal growth practices, his dynamic midlife mastery mentorship program that inspires hundreds of people daily around the world, and Jonathan's podcast, What Will Love Do? And his website is jonathanasley.com, and I'll put that in the show notes, but it's Jonathan, J O N A T H O N. Aslay, dot com. So with that, I want to welcome Jonathan Aslay to Grief to Growth.
2: I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, Jonathan, it's, it is really good to have you on. We were just talking uh, right before we got started. We have something in common, yeah. our children in spirit, and we found out they're almost exactly the same age. Your son, Connor, passed in 2018 at the age of 19. Uh, my daughter, Shana, passed in 2015 at the age of 15. Yeah. So when Connor past, how did it impact you?
2: Um, Wow, I I can't believe I just (laughs) got... So, obviously, my reaction is is just a a snippet of how it impacted me. I I think as a parent, uh, and and I know this is true for most parents, but I can only speak for myself, I I think Mm -hmm. the moment my first son and my second son, Connor, were born... I lived in constant fear on some level. I mean, while there's, this is this joyous thing to have this bundle of, you know, this energy and baby and whatnot. I lived in fear of things like, you know, would they drown in the swimming pool? Would they get kidnapped? I mean, boy, anytime I saw something on a kidnapping, I would go, ah, I lose my mind. Um, yeah. Or worse, you know, they'd end up in jail or something like that. So I had all these constant fears. And so, the moment I heard he passed away, it was not just, it was like all those fears realized in that second. Um, and I, I want to say, I didn't ever think this couldn't happen to me, but on some level, like this couldn't happen to me kind of thing. And when I say me experiencing this, is but yet the fear you know, I'm a little, it's interesting. I'm very tongue-tied, which is very rare. So, this, mm. th- that question hit me because um, I recognize that on some level, I was prepared for it. Mm. Not because, you know, any expectation from him, but I'd been doing a ton of personal development and spiritual work prior. And a lot of that work prepared me for it from an emotional perspective. So why I got tongue tied was my, my mind was all in fear and and that anxiety, but ultimately when it happened, I was relatively calm. Now I want to differentiate between the shock kind of calm that happens or denial that can happen, but on some level I was calm. And I want to share that a little bit deeper uh, later on in the podcast, but, um, Mm -hmm. So when it happened, I was—I had these mixed feelings from all that anxiety that I'd always had, versus the, also the reaction that I was relatively calm. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but um, no,
0: I can—I totally relate to that. Um, for myself, I had a, a massive fear of death, of my own death. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of personal development, studying to to try to alleviate my own fears. So. Um, and I think as as a parent, we're always worried about our kids. Yeah. We're always think, you know, what if the worst things happen? Because yeah. it, it, I mean that they're our lives. So um, I I would say I could totally like what you're saying because I was in a sense prepared because of all the studying I'd done. Yeah, um, but I never really expected it to happen to me. Yeah, and that's how it is. It feels like when your kid dies, it happens to you, right? It's it's a personal thing.
2: Oh boy, is that such a like all of a sudden everything you've ever watched before seeing someone else's kid pass away or something happened. Bam. Now it's, I don't want to say your turn, but your experience. And I will say one thing that did happen right off the bat. There was a rush of love from people. I mean, the, the empathy and sympathy and the arms that, you know, were wrapping me on a virtual level was just, it was humongous. Um, and I really appreciate all the love and support. And I mean, to this day, I still do, but uh, in those early days, that made a huge difference um, in navigating this.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's still relatively soon for you. Um, You said it was, it was 28, uh, 2018. Yeah. It'll be two
2: years in July. So,
0: yeah. Um, So those first two years are just like, I mean, first of all, it's shock and then it's, you know it's disbelief and you know all those things that we go through, so you, um, it, it seems like you must have been prepared in some way for you to have turned as quickly as you did to you know writing the book that you wrote and, and those things. Yeah, I right
2: uh, right before he passed, it was interesting. I, I study A Course in Miracles, and uh, oh, okay, and I, j- I just began a study group where we. Uh, we meet every morning on the phone with a group of people, and we talk about each lesson, and there's 365 lessons in the book. And coincidentally, we were talking about death literally weeks, like four weeks beforehand. I mean, a lot of the, the, the topics were coming up around death and the spiritual significance of death and how, the you know, while the physical body might die, the spirit never dies. And so... Mm-hmm. I was able to lean into that energy in the beginning because I would already kind of prepared myself from the, the mental state of going, okay, yes, our body may transition, but our spirit never does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the Course of Miracles. I just started, I just kind of kind of came across that actually since my daughter okay. passed. And I just interviewed a guy that's kind of the world's leading expert in that okay. a couple of weeks ago. So that'll be coming on the podcast, and people can find out more about that. But yeah, those things, they do seem to kind of prepare us, but we still go through that that shock at that, and it doesn't it doesn't um, it makes it easier, but doesn't alleviate the grief, right? It doesn't make it go away. Um, Um, So, what was your grief process like when 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 Connor did pass?
2: (sighs) Have you ever seen that meme where there's like it's like a roller coaster? You know, this is grief. You know, it's like all over the place. Yeah, Uh, certainly, I experienced. You know the the you know denial, um, anger, depression. um, um, What's it when you want him back? There's a terminal. I can't remember all the terminologies. Um, And I experienced everything in you know in a what felt like a short period of time. But what Mm -hmm. I I really leaned into, I remember, okay, so I was at his funeral and I was giving the eulogy and I've been sharing stories about him and whatnot. And I stopped in the middle and I said, I'm going to make a conscious choice to grieve with love. I'm going to make a conscious hmm. choice to grieve with love because I recognized on some level that I could grieve with suffering. And if you knew my son and you know and I, and I know everyone can say this to some degree, but at least I feel this directly with my son. there is not one ounce of him that would ever want anyone who cared for him to ever suffer. I mean, if you just knew his personality and, and how much he cared about his friends and his family and how much he gave love in that sense that would be like the furthest thing he'd ever want. So I'm, I'm giving his eulogy and I stop in the middle and I say, I'm going to grieve with love. And I decided to really lean into what does it mean to love? Because yeah. I can I can love him and I can just choose to love him in a different way, not his mortal body, but certainly the spiritual aspect of him. So that really inspired me. To want to look at love in a different way, and then two months into, or two months after he passed away, I began writing my second book. Um, as you mentioned, oh, here's a picture of it. What the heck is self love yeah. anyway?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and it inspired me, and I actually published it nine months to the day after he passed.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Wow. Wow. So that, that's, that's, uh, so what led you, so obviously you were on some sort of a self-discovery journey yeah. before he passed. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So what, what started you on that self-discovery journey before he passed?
2: Oh, well, see now what's interesting because um, let's see, it was about 12 years before he passed. Uh, I went through a divorce, lost my quarter million dollar a year job, and got wiped out in the market crash of 2008. I mean, mm. I'm, and I'm talking about a seven-figure wipeout. So um, at one point, I was worth, you know, well over a million dollars. And then in three mm. months, that was gone. Wow. And I, I hit rock bottom. I mean, I was at the point where I went to bed wishing I didn't wake up. And and I, I began, I remember the movie The Secret came out right about that time. And I'm like watching this and I'm like, this resonates with me. And mm. then I grabbed, I watched another movie called What the Bleep. And then I started to read books about personal development. Tony Robbins, you know, was popular. I mean, he still is, but very popular at that time. And so I had seen yeah. Tony Robbins uh, CDs and that sort of thing. So I started to immerse myself in personal development. At the same time, I'm curled up on my couch closed the drapes and didn't want to live. So, I mean, there was this interesting dynamic. And in fact, I mean, to add to that, I was addicted to online dating. I was Hmm. like addicted because I was like, so wanted the feminine energy. I wanted to connect with women, which eventually became my profession, (laughs) this (laughs) addiction. So I had three things going on, my depression, my addiction, and then my curiosity for personal development. And I say that all of that work prepared me for the emotional chaos. It was like a vaccination to emotional chaos. So by the Mm. time he had passed, which I thought would have brought me over to the edge and never returned, I had done so much work on myself. And hence why I'm wearing a t-shirt that says self-love is that I was a little bit, prepared. I mean, it doesn't take away from the pain, but it was a little bit easier than had I not been prepared, or at least that's my perception anyway.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting, you know, talking to you, Jonathan, and and going through your life and looking backwards. Yeah. Um, there's a quote that I always talk about was, you know, life can only be understood looking backwards, but we have to live it forward. Yeah. And as we look back, you know, going through your life, it's kind of like, okay, well, this prepared me for this, and this prepared me for this. And it's, you know, it's just reality. A lot of times the worst things in our lives are the things that really make us stronger. The, or, or I, I would say reveal our strength. It reveals a strength that we didn't know we have. Yeah. But, but we go through that, you know, that, like you said, curled up on the couch. You wake up in the morning. You don't want to be there. And anybody that's lost a kid can relate to that feeling. Yeah. I, think, I think we've all had that. We've had those days and, you know, still have those days sometimes where it's like, you know, why am I still here and he's not? But uh, you know, it's it's interesting how you you've taken that and used that to to motivate yourself to move forward.
2: Yeah, it it, it it's literally as if I'm drawing on his inner strength. I mean, I I continually tap into um, what he had because he had an unusual. My son was unusual. Um, in fact, one of the chap. Can I curse? Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, One of the chapters in the book is don't let anyone fuck with your chi. And what was interesting about my son is he had this unique capacity not to let other people's opinion of him bother him. Mm -hmm. Like, in other words, he was Teflon. Like, it's like, if that's who you are, fine. And so I recognized that there was an element of he loved himself so much that other people's opinions of him wouldn't bother him. Whereas his dad was the opposite. If someone had an opinion of me that wasn't good, I mean, I was like, <laughs> I'd curl up and and, uh, and and shrink emotionally. So I started to tap into that inner strength with him uh, hmm. since the day he passed.
0: You know, it's, you know, it's another thing I find interesting when I talk to people whose children passed early. This is a... It's anecdotal, yeah. but, you know, it's been my observation. These kids seem to usually have something really special about them that, that, that draws people to them and that we learn from our children. My, my daughter was just like, she was kind of similar. She was like, she had so much self-confidence and she loved herself and she she did what she wanted to do. You know, she was kind of her own person. She was 15, but she was a feminist uh, remember, she wore this t-shirt, this sweatshirt to school one day. That you know, said feminists across it. One of her teachers was like, "You know, I want one of those t-shirts." She had my she had my uh, my wife make it for her. Yeah. So yeah, there's something about our kids that you know, even after they pass, we're still drawing strength and inspiration from them. So I, I'm just curious: Do you believe in soul planning? Do you think that you and and your son Pat planned this or?
2: Oh well, so you're going to find this interesting. Um, there's two facets to what I'm about to share. So. Um, my son struggled in school. He struggled with reading and writing. Um, and, you know, whether he had a learning disability or not, I mean, I believe he did. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: He graduated high school and he said, look, I, I don't want to go to college, even though his, young, his older brother was straight A student, magna cum laude, double major, you know, like a kid from, the, from an educational standpoint. Connor struggled. Mm-hmm. And, and then, of course, then his mom said, um, well, we want you to get a job. And he said to me right after graduation, he said, Dad, can you give cut me some slack? Can you give me one year to figure out my life? In other words, can you give me time just to, because I don't want to go to college. I don't want to get a job yet. I want to figure out things on my own. Um, he passed one year and three days from the day he said that. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt in my mind that his soul knew he was here for a short journey. Like his soul yeah. knew it. Like in that moment, his soul was telling me, I'm only here for a year. And in that one year, he lived balls to the wall. I mean, he was very, uh, he had a very much a rebel uh, personality in him. Mm-hmm. And he tried and experimented in all different areas of his life, so he got to have a lot of fun his last year, especially with his core group of friends. Um,
0: yeah, you know that that's really really interesting to me um, because my daughter made little comments here or there that made us think, you know, looking back on it, that she knew she wasn't going to be here for you know for a very long time, um, and I, and that seems to be you know fairly common. And and she was the same way; she just loved life. She just wanted to experience everything you know, and try different things. And, and so, you know, I, I see some commonalities yeah. there. So I think it's great when we can look back as parents and realize that, and maybe realize, you know, that was the plan and not, you know, agony I mean, we still wish they were here, but not agonized so much about the fact that that was their journey and they, they completed their journey. And now we got to go, you know, do our own thing.
2: Yeah. That's what I got out of and, you know, got out of the course in miracles and it's great that you're, you know, you know, investigating it for yourself. Um, Mm-hmm. One of the things I recognized that we're all here on our own journey. So when I was able to say, okay, this was his journey. In other words, you know, some people have, you know, I look at it like a movie and his was a short film. Okay. Some people have movies that are a long drawn out drama. <laughs> some yeah, are action yeah. adventure. Some are romantic comedies, you know, and the, the length of the movie kind of is an impetus for how your life is. So in his case, it was a short documentary, especially the last year, balls to the wall kind of, uh, energy. And I was okay with that. In other words, because that's his journey. And I was wanted to share with you the second part of the story, um, was, the day after he passed, I'm walking into my complex and there's kind of this, where I live, there's a like a little uh, waterfall and vegetation and a little pond and that sort of thing right through the entrance. It's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I see a yellow butterfly just kind of passing by me. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I didn't give it much thought at first until when I was leaving the next morning and this yellow butterfly starts following me. I'm like, Okay, this is kind of interesting because I never seen a yellow butterfly before where I lived. Mm. I always saw brown butterflies. And then the next day, so now it's the third day after he passed. And I'm at my—I I live on a uh, third story of a three-story complex, and right mm. out my balcony is a yellow butterfly. And there is no doubt in my mind that was him saying, yeah. "Hey, I want to let you know I'm okay." And now I see all the all the time. I mean, not, you know, not every single day, but I mean, it's literally now that's my signal to know that's him telling me, hey, I'm just letting you know I'm around and I'm okay.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. wwwgrief 2 slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I think that's great. And, you know, it's interesting that you, that you bring it up because I, you know, I talk to a lot of parents and a lot of parents will say, well, I haven't heard from my son. I haven't, I haven't heard, heard from my kid. Why haven't I heard from them? And that's one of the ways they communicate with us. It's not Typically going to be a phone call. Even though I know people that have gotten phone calls. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's it's usually like little things. It's it's synchronicities. It's finding coins. It's finding feathers, and then once they find something that connects with you, they'll start to repeat that. Yeah. You know, for so like for my daughter and I, it's it's dimes, and you know, it's, it's really wild because this happened to me just two days ago. I was looking for something in the house that my my dog had lost. She had lost her toy, and I asked my daughter, "Could you, you know, give me an idea of where her toy is?" Yeah. And I just so I was like, okay, check between the cushions on the couch. I ran my hand between the cushions on the couch. It wasn't her toy, but I found a die, oh. and it was like, okay, well, that was that was interesting. Yeah. So we look for little things like that. You know, our kids are they're still connected with us. They're still you know they still want to be involved in our lives. And I think it's it's really great to hear someone like yourself saying, yeah, I recognize these things. I, I recognize that, and and the idea that. Another thing that with parents is we think we we tend to think we own our kids, right? Yeah. So what happens to them happens to us and their life was cut short. Why did this happen to me? And that's a really common thing that people say. And it's like, it didn't happen to us, it happened to them. Exactly. And that was their journey.
2: Yes, exactly. It took it took that particular bit of awareness to help me accept. Hey, this is his journey. It didn't happen to me. He didn't do anything to me. You know, he didn't, this wasn't intentional on his part or anything. And it wasn't at the hand of someone else per se. So, um, and that awareness really helps me be more in acceptance. Because ultimately, I think what helped me navigate the grief um, was leaning into love and leaning into acceptance. In other words, just... And and don't get me wrong, I, you know, it's almost two years and I, I, you know, I was crying the other day and I mean, I, I literally was melancholy for an entire afternoon, not that Mm -hmm. I was incessantly thinking about them, but there's a, there's a, there's a sadness, there's a hole inside of, I can only speak for myself and I'm, I'm almost certain you and everyone else feels the same way. There's a hole inside of us. Um. I just do my best to fill that hole with as much love as I can possibly can for myself, for him, for everyone on the planet.
0: Yeah, I had a grief counselor that came by the house uh, right after Shana passed, and she said that it was really profound. I think she, she like had this model of the heart, and she said, "So when you're when Shana passed, it left a hole in your heart, and now the edges are ragged and they're rough and they're raw. Yeah, that hole will always be there, yeah. but the edges will smooth over. Yeah." and there will always be a place in my heart for her there will always be a longing for her i will always miss her yeah um and i don't i don't intend for that to change i don't want that to change i, I want to you know to have that for her cuz that, that's my love for her yeah but it doesn't have to be raw every day and it's not as bad every day and when it is bad you know we deal with it and we realize it's going to pass so we lean into those feelings we have those feelings and and then we let them go and we move on yeah
2: um I don't know if it's appropriate to share with your audience, um, but I've done some spiritual journeys using plant-based medicine.
0: Oh yeah. yeah.
2: um, (laughs) And actually each time I've done it in the last year and I've done it three times, um, I've connected with him. I mean, I've connected with him on a deep level. And one of the messages he sent me, which I thought was very profound was, um, I was kind of playing with the my eyes open and my, my eyes closed. Because when you're on the medicine, everything is kind of euphoric and kind of a dreamlike state. And there was a bright shining light. And he says, hey, dad, you don't have to close your eyes. Because the light of love is just engulfing you right now. And just always hmm. remember the light of love is on. So you don't have to. And what I think he meant when he said that was closing your eyes is like being afraid. Being a a fear, not of him, but just in life in general. He's like, Mm -hmm. keep your eyes open. Open your eyes to love, and that will get you through anything. And it was like that message came in so loud and clear. Um, As well as he said one other thing. He said, be grateful because I'm already in the light of love. Mm -hmm. Like, in other words, lean into gratitude. I'm already in love. I'm in that space Mm -hmm. of love, and that's be grateful for that. You'll get there. He's what he's saying, you know, but I'm already there.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that is so awesome. And, uh, I'm curious, was it ayahuasca that you did? Um, no, I did uh, psilocybin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. They're, they were doing experiments with psilocybin yes. and there's just some real medical benefits. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not promoting it, but yeah, there's people for depression and anxiety sure. and they're using it in medical settings yeah. and we're starting to understand plant-based medicines yeah. and, um, I have friends that have that have taken ayahuasca, and I've, I've been interested in it because, as a, as a medicine, you know, not as a recreational. Yeah, stand, exactly.
2: But, I do it as a spiritual journey,
0: and uh, yeah, it can it can open up our eyes to a greater reality that our brain filters out. Yeah, I mean, we've got we've got these senses that are that kind of block everything else out. So, I think that's really cool, and I think it's a universal message that we can all you know take to heart. And again, as parents, you know, when our children leave before us. We miss them. A lot of people grieve for our children, like they miss this, they miss that, yeah. and it's really important mess- message to say, they didn't miss anything. They're, as you said, he's in the light of love. Yeah, you know he he's he's in bliss that that we'll get to soon enough. Yeah,
2: my ex-wife struggles a bit because she has that. I, mean, I I. want to say the word fantasy um, and please forgive it because there's probably a better word, but you know, like he getting married, having children, she being yeah, a grandma yeah. to, you know, to his children. So she has this missing of that, which I don't have that same strength and desire. You know, like I don't have that same desire as she did per se. Uh, I just, I miss him because I liked my son. <laughs> like, you know, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I, I, and actually both of my boys. I mean, what's interesting is a lot of parents may love their children, but they don't necessarily like their children. Right, right. And and both my boys were polar opposites. I mean, they were as far I mean, <laughs> they could be so two different people. But I really liked them. And what I miss yeah. most is I just liked hanging out with them. I yeah. don't know how else to describe it.
0: No, I think it's a great way to describe it because I like both my girls, yeah. and Shayna was is younger. Uh, she's three years younger than my daughter uh, Kayla, and I I miss her being here for her sister. Yeah, you know, I I, I miss that. Um, I you know, I didn't have the fantasies of grandchildren and stuff like that. That's just some people do. Yeah. I I don't. Yeah. so I don't I don't really miss that. Um, but there are times you know she would be a sophomore in college now, and she was going to go to my alma mater. Mm. So. You know there are times when i I do I miss those things, but it's for me, right? um she was she was a few weeks away from getting her attempts to start driving. and she was really excited about, you know driving. Yeah. it's funny because uh, in one of the readings I had with the medium, she said, Shana is handing me car keys. Why is she handing me car keys? And she's like, I and I told her she was fifteen and a half, and she said, I think she's telling me she's driving on the other <laughs> side. She's, she's like, I don't know if it's literal. I don't know if they really have cars there. Yeah. But, you know, she's, she's telling, she's giving me this message. She's not missing that, right? Yeah. You know, we're, we're missing those things, but they're not.
1: We'll get back to Grief to Growth in just a few seconds. Did you know that Brian is an author and a life coach? If you're grieving or know someone who is grieving, his book, Grief to Growth, is a best-selling, easy-to-read book that might help you or someone you know. People work with Brian as a life coach to break through barriers and live their best lives. You can find out more about Brian and what he offers at www.grieftogrowth.com, wwwgrief the number two, growth.com, or text growth growth to three one nine nine six. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash grief to growth, www.patreon.com slash G-R-I-E-F, the number two, G-R-O-W-T-H, to make a financial contribution. And now, back to grief to growth.
2: Yeah. Oh, my God. Thanks for sharing that. (laughs) So cool. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but you know our kids, um, I, and I feel this from you. I mean, my kids are my life. I mean, my I I didn't understand you talk about self love. I didn't understand unconditional love until my children were yeah. there. I mean, that, that's that's when you look at that kid and you go, Wow, I would do anything for you, and there's nothing that you could do that would make me, you know, not love you. And and you love them, you know, whatever they do, whatever their thing is. And my girls were very different, yeah. um, and in some ways. Uh, but you love both of them, you know, and you love them differently but equally.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned unconditional love and I I think as a parent and on some level and hate, I'm about to use the word hate, but it's, there's another word. I just, that's the only one that comes to mind. On some level, I hated being a parent because unconditional love can feel incredibly overwhelming because I want to protect them. I don't want them to ever get hurt. I, you know, I mean, everything about wanting them to be incredibly safe was also a huge pressure for me. Yeah. I mean, and so I don't get me wrong. I love my kids, but parenting unconditional love was felt like a burden at times.
0: It makes you vulnerable. Yeah, Yeah. I I remember before, before we had kids, I had a a friend that um, had a child and she said, Having a child is like taking your heart out of your chest and letting it walk around in the world, you know, yeah. and it's totally exposed because you realize how vulnerable you are. You know, if something happens to your to your child, and with Shayna, you know, our our girls were both healthy okay. for you know most of their lives, but then Shayna was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, okay. which was pretty serious um, when she was about ten, I think, okay. and then like a year or so later, she was diagnosed with a heart condition. Okay. Um, so we went from her being like you know really healthy to you know, me having to be concerned about her with the medications I was giving her and the things we were going through. And that's, you're right. It's, it's, it's extremely, it makes you vulnerable. Yeah. Um, but it's worth it. You know, it's, it's, it's worth it. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they become your lives.
2: I, I want to say that the one thing that happened the moment he passed was that 800 pound gorilla that I was carrying about unconditional love, on some level disappeared. In Mm -hmm. other words, and it disappeared not because he wasn't here. It's because in that moment, I recognized how valuable life really becomes, how important every single day matters. And so my, my last memory of my son was we, we get together? We got together for lunch twice a week. I mean, we get together for lunch. We, you know, sh- you know, go to different places. We would always go to one of his either. Yeah, we go to his favorite places. Always order the same food. But we had three restaurants we went to. Mm-hmm. And two days before he passed was the last time I saw him. And we always said goodbye the same way. I love you, you know, and with a hug, and I'll see you later. Yeah. And. I'm grateful that on some level, that's my last memory of him. Yeah. His, you know, um, because sadly his mother doesn't have that. His mother, um, he, he woke up, uh, on a Tuesday morning, went downstairs to have a cup of coffee and go back upstairs. And his mother saw him and then he passed sometime between 9am and noon. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so for her, it's like this, Oh, I just expect to see him later in the day,
0: you yeah. know,
2: yeah. and I at least have a little different memory because that feel of, and I know I'm making a big deal about this, or at least it's a big deal for me. I'm so grateful. I don't have that experience because that would feel painful to me.
0: Yeah. You know, and I had to, I worked with the guy to do some trauma work because for me, my daughter, the night before she, cause she was still living here. She was 15. So we were sitting on the couch and, we went to bed and she goes up to the bathroom and yeah. she was in the bathroom. And the door was closed. So I just said, you know, good night through the door. I didn't hug her that night. And I every, every night I would hug her and give her a kiss, yeah. but I, that night I didn't. Mm. And then the next morning she didn't wake <sighs> up. So my last memory was finding her, you know, in bed the next yeah. day. Um, but the thing our, our kids tell us when they come through, through mediums or through after death communications is, I don't want you to remember the last moment. If you have a memory like you, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of for me, I lean into that memory. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's great that, that you have that, but I'm like, you know, I could, I could agonize over the fact that I didn't kiss her that night. Yeah. You know, I could say that was my last moment and why didn't I kiss her? Yeah. But I, I don't, you know, I kissed her every other night before that. Yeah, And she knows I love her. And in fact, she would even say to me sometimes, you don't have to tell me you love me all the time. You know, I know, <laughs> but uh, I'm like, no, yeah, I'm going to tell you anyway. By the way, now let
2: me ask you something. So you have another child, right? So with my, but my other son, I'm like, look, <laughs> we're going to hug and kiss every single time we see each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, every communication between us always to be, I love you at the end. I put a little pressure on him a little bit because mm-hmm. of this. And I, I say, look, cut me some slack. And he's, he's actually understanding.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that's natural. How old is your other son? Uh, he, well, I,
2: they're three years apart. So he was 22. Um, Okay. But he's
0: 24 now. Okay. So yeah, same as my girls. Yeah. Uh, my my daughter will be 24. Uh, Kayla will be 24 uh, this fall. In November. Okay. Wow. So I mean, uh, we have exactly. Yeah. So we always, you know, and I, the thing is, this goes back to my past, but I always hug my girls and kiss them because I was like, I'm going to overcompensate for my, my childhood. Yeah. So I, I, I do that anyway. But I was telling Kayla the other day, she called me on the phone and she goes, what was that sigh when you answered the phone? I said, because you only call me when something is wrong, for one thing. You she, she texts me. I mean, don't they, they, get me wrong. She texts me, she but I said, you only call when something's wrong. So so the other thing is you have to understand I'm still going through PTSD, right? Yeah. And, and I'm going to be for the rest of my life. So when you call, when the phone rings and it's you, you know, tell us first of all, I'm okay. Yeah. That's gotta be the first thing out of your mouth. Yeah. I'm okay. And she's learned. She, she has, that's, that's her burden to bear for the rest of her life.
2: (laughs) You know what? Identical with my son. I literally,
0: if you're calling
2: me, just start with everything's okay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. They, they got to cut us some slack on that. I think that's perfectly, I think that's, that's fine. I think we deserve that. So, um, so after Connor passed, you write this book about self-love. So why is self-love so important?
2: So what was interesting, thank you for asking, because, right before he passed as a dating and relationship coach, I, I uncovered what I, I started to uncover how much dating triggers the number one emotional health issue. You, you said that in my bio. And what, mm-hmm. what I meant was that I've observed that most humans, at least here in the United States, and I'm sure this is around the world as well, is that we suffer from, I don't I don't feel good enough, I don't feel lovable, I'm not likable, our self-worth is somewhat fragile on some level. And while we love the idea of confidence, you know, um, that underneath that maybe facade of confidence, many people are experiencing this lack of self-worth, self-esteem, self-confidence. And dating triggers this, you know, whether it's ghosting or breakups or narcissist or cheating or all these different things that can happen in the dating realm. It triggers that experience. I'm not, I'm not good enough. So I started to blog about self love as the antidote to that really is the, as the precursor to building up yourself worth, self esteem, self confidence. Mm-hmm. And then by the time he passed, I, I, as I said earlier, I was leaning into love. Like, how do I incorporate both? My my book isn't about dating. It's more about the individual, your individual sovereignty, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. And as I kind of wrap up in the book, I say it's a vaccination to emotional chaos because whether it's the passing of a loved one or a breakup or ghosting or whatever happens in one's life, it could be uh, health issues and whatnot. When we have a solid, core of loving ourselves we're better prepared for the roller coaster of life and that's my belief and that's what I talk about in the book
0: I think that's fantastic and and I I love the way you you put that because I think and I'm starting for yourself self-love is the is the core of everything it's the it's the foundation it's the bedrock right so you know Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And a lot of us learned that in Sunday school. And we were taught that means that, you know, you should love your neighbor. But the first thing is you have to love yourself. Yes. And and that's the thing that a lot of us don't really, you know, understand. And I was talking with the guy last night who's written a book about the 10 life lessons learned from near-death experiences. Mm. And the first life, the first lesson, the universal lesson for people at near-death experiences, the other lessons, you know, they might pick up here or there. It's all about unconditional love. It's all about unconditional love. Yeah. And again, the first the first love is the love for yourself. Yeah. But in our society, we've been taught the self love is equal to selfish, and we shouldn't do that. We should be humble. We should be, you know, we should be um, humble. We should we should just not think too much of our of ourselves. And it 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 it's we don't have that foundation, right? So when these things come along, dating breakups, things like that, you know, yeah. grief, it knocks us right off our feet.
2: So what's interesting in The Course of Miracles, we talk about the, it's, it's not stated in this way, so I'm going to give you my interpretation of it. There's the unhealthy ego, because when we talk about self, we're talking about ego, and there's, there, there is an element of unhealthy ego that either taps ourselves, there's a you know, self-crucifixion that can happen, or we judge others or compare ourselves to others and that sort of thing. That's really coming from unhealthy ego. Healthy ego says, I'm going to love on myself like I would that little kid, you know, like a little kid inside of you. I'm just going to love on you, not from a selfish place, but from an empowered place, from a place of strength from within. And I I start off the beginning chapter or the opening of my book talking about when you're on the airplane. And everyone knows that when you get on an airplane, the flight attendant says, in the case of cabin pressure change, oxygen mask will drop and if you're traveling with small children put the oxygen mask on yourself first because you can't be of service to someone else if you can't be of service to yourself so the oxygen that's coming on that plane is love that's what I yeah. that's what I'm leaning into is when we give mm-hmm. ourselves an oxygen of love we can then be of service to others and yet we've been so conditioned that it's the other way around and yes. and judged is if if you don't do it that way, you know, if you if it's all about giving, and there's little room for you, how can you be of value to anyone else anyway? So that's yeah. what I lean into in the book.
0: I you know as i have doing a lot more studying and I, a lot of these new age you know teachings, I guess I'll say there's been a huge attack on the ego. Um, the, the ego is bad. We need to kill the ego. And eagles and I was just reading a book about enlightenment. This guy is just like the ego is the enemy. And I. I think that's overdone yeah. in, my, in my personal opinion. And I was talking with the guy, I was telling you a bit earlier, Bob Perry, who's like an expert on A Course of Miracles. Yeah. We, he was talking about the ego and the Course of Miracles. And I said, you know, my impression is, I think, you know, Freud talked about the id, the ego, and the super ego. Yeah. And I think we're attacking the id or the ego when we should be attacking the id because it's the id that's all about me, me, me. But the ego is healthy. We have to have an ego. We have to have boundaries we have to have an understanding yeah. of ourselves or to take care of ourselves there's, there's nothing wrong with that i think we i think we've gotten out of balance that's why i differentiate
2: it for me this is my interpretation because the book doesn't say it that way but it's healthy ego versus unhealthy ego that's just yeah. my way of phrasing it but it's the recognition That whenever I'm attacking myself, because I can judge myself horrifically, or I can judge others, or I compare myself to others, or I'm in guilt, or I'm in resentment, all of those experiences are born out of fear and ego, the unhealthy aspects of life, because it's really born out of fear. So the healthy part of ego, the way I interpret it, is how can we lean more into love? and. You know, it's interesting though? a lot of people throw around the word love. Oh, I'm very loving. I'm very giving. I'm always this. But oftentimes, it's still coming from a selfish place. You know, mm-hmm. I need you to be this way for me to feel good. Instead right. of hey, I'm just going to give no matter what happens.
0: <laughs> right, right. It's it's giving with the proper motivation. Yeah, and it's and it's understanding that we're all equal and we're all really the same. And if you if you we're really all one. Yeah. And if you really understand that, then you will love other people, but you'll also love yourself. Yeah. And I think, as I said, I, I really like what, what I hear you saying about, you know, self-love being the foundation for this, whether it's dating or whether it's going through grief or going through anything is primarily looking at, you know, who you really are, what value you have, you know, in and of yourself. And yeah. and if you have that and you're in a dating situation and someone dumps you, you're not going to dump on yourself and say, well, they, they, they dump me because I don't deserve to be loved, which you know can happen, right?
2: Well, I'm in a world – well, I coach women, <laughs> and they oftentimes take it – well, I mean, it's human nature to take it personally. In other words, as if it's mm-hmm. a sign of your worth. And I'm here to say, hey, when someone, for example, ends a relationship, and they're basically saying we're misaligned. That's all it's saying is we are not aligned with one another for whatever. Then the reason is irrelevant because if they're choosing to move on, that's their choice that going back to the journey, the the unhealthy ego says there's something wrong with me. And I think I'm going to tell you why I think this happens. I think that the unhealthy ego enters in our lives every day in some way, shape or form as the trigger to love yourself. Hmm. In other words, It's, it's it's, because here's the thing as children, we've been so conditioned to experience love from others. We were never really trained as children to learn how to love on ourselves. It's we get love from others. So I think the ego is constantly putting, you know, these little tests in your way so you can return back to love. In fact, another great book to read is return to love by Marianne Williamson. Um, Hmm. fact, at the end of my book, I actually take you on a chronicle of the 20 years of personal development I've been through. And I recommend what I believe are some of the best books on the planet to really shore up one's self-love. At least these are the ones that I most, you know, resonated with.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that because uh, I think a lot of times we do tend to, we try everything until we find something that works, right? So, Trying to find love from other people and relying on that, you know, relying on them for our own self-worth. We eventually figure out this is not working. And we get to the rock bottom that you referred to earlier. And we all reach it at different points through different ways at different times. And I heard someone the other day, and I wish I could remember who it was so I could give them credit. But they were saying, you know, rock bottom is really a blessing because it's what motivates you to start moving up. And after, and you hit rock bottom, there's only one way to go. So once we get to that point where we've said, okay, I've tried this, I've tried this, I've tried this, uh, and it's not working. Let me, let me try something different. Let me try turning within as, as, uh, you know, as Kelvin Chen, a guy I've I've interviewed also said, you know, it's, it's that turning within where we start to say, let me look at my own, my own self-worth. Let me look at my, let me love on myself. Let me get that, that, uh, that motivation, that, Feedback from myself, and if I do that first, then I can love other people, and then I'll get the love that I need in return. And if someone says I don't want to be with you, I can say, like you said, we're misaligned, not you're worthless. Yes, uh, exactly. Some people hear that. Yeah,
2: Um, it's hard to do it when you're in depression. Yeah, there's no doubt. And and I even talk about this in my book. I'm not, you know, I'm a huge proponent. To seeking medical help, you know, if you're if you feel so far down the rabbit hole, is please go out and see, you know, professional help. Um, not mm-hmm. that I'm a big proponent on medicine as a way to curb it, because ultimately, hope is the only way to. I, I believe having people when you're in depression, you've lost hope. I, I feel yes. like that's like the core element. So yeah personal development is, is re is shoring up that level of hope. Uh, That's my invitation. But if you need medical treatment and need to see people that are professionals at this, don't go to, you know, some life coach that you saw online and and no disrespect to life coaches, but uh, because I'm, I'm a life coach, but start with professionals because there's a lot of people out there giving quasi advice, you know, to help. And that may take you further down the rabbit hole.
0: Yeah. You know, and by the way, let me say coach. one other thing.
2: A good life mm-hmm. coach knows that and will send you. <laughs> you know
0: exactly. That's that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I, I'm a life coach myself, and my daughter is a, is a mental health professional. She's in she's in counseling. Yeah. She's or, she's a mental health counselor, and she's working on her master's degree. And I'm, I'm doing this life coaching course right now to teach other life coaches. And one of the things they said I, I really liked is, you know, there's a place for people. There's a place for life coaches because life coaches are typically looking forward. Yeah. We help people to to understand where you are, to understand what your motivations are, what you want, and to make plans. Yes. If you need a professional counselor to help you look back and figure out why you are where you are and the issues you're having, that's not a life coach. Yes. And that's that's something that we need to understand as life coaches. That's not what we do. So we refer people that that need counseling to counselors. But if you're in a situation where you you feel like I'm stuck. I, I know what I want to do, but I just can't get there. That's where a life coach Yes, can, can exactly. Help. Well said,
2: Brian. Well said.
0: So, yeah, I think, um, you know, what we're talking about, though, I think it really is It's interesting how it applies, like I said, to everybody. I like the way we, we talk. You know, we, we talked your books about ostensibly on the surface is about dating and your, your relationship, Coach. But it really applies to everybody because we all could learn how to love ourselves better.
2: Well, actually, um, I don't talk too much about dating in the book. Uh, it's okay, more le- okay. leaning into love in and it, of itself. I mean, there's a little bit of dating in there, but when okay. I, when I started to write it, I wanted it to be, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself in the dating realm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spend more about how to shore up your own self-worth, self-esteem, self-confidence, that sort of thing. So they're very simple lessons like, you know, uh, chapter one is called speak your truth, do it with kindness you know, oftentimes people are afraid to speak up. So the encouragement is to start using your voice (laughs) um, in a kind way, in a non-confrontational way. So, and each lesson builds upon itself. So by the time you get to the end of the book, you go, okay, this is a tiny wake up call. Now I'm, this is where I take you as I say, look, now there's these other great resources that you should start checking into, like Course in Miracles, or maybe some workshops, or Wayne Dyer, or Abraham Hicks. I mean, I list all the, the, the people that I love. yeah. Um, and if, And so that's really, it's just a tiny wake-up call to begin. And I'm a big proponent of a daily personal development practice, personal development, self-help, spiritual practice, a daily. And oh, one other thing. A lot of people confuse self-love with self-care. And hmm. you like getting manicures and massages and bubble baths and all those <laughs> kinds of things. And I'm here to say is self-care is for the body. Self-love is for the, for the heart, for the emotional side of who you are. That's what hmm, self-love yeah. is about. Yeah. It's more, and the body is an important part of this too, but self-care is just the body piece that the emotional piece is going to require personal development, self-help and spiritual work, at least in my perspective.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And that's a conclusion I've come to, too. It, it requires a practice and people might they might shy away from that word practice. Yeah. But I was interviewing someone a little while ago and she she was talking about practice. And she said it's three minutes a day because this is what she starts people with. She's like and she said, and I really don't want you to do any more than that. You know, she in her in her approach is like, because if you do, it's going to become overwhelming. She said, so do three minutes a day. And it's, it's just these little things that they don't have to be big. I mean, for me, I, I have a gratitude practice so before I get out of bed every morning. I think of three things I'm grateful for yeah. and, you know, and, and things like, you know, people shy away from the word meditation, but call it mindfulness. And even if it's just putting on some music and sitting down for five minutes and closing your eyes and listening to a song that inspires you, yeah, you know, do, do little things like that on a regular basis to kind of, you know, to build yourself up to, to kind of as a daily exercise.
2: I am full agreement. I mean, I, I encourage I encourage everyone to go 15 minutes and that you start with three and go to five and 10 and 15, but at a minimum, get to a level. Uh, this is my request for everyone. Get to a level of a minimum 15 minutes a day at some point, you know, start small, get to that point. And meditation is a great technique. And like you said, it's not about OM and just, you know, emptying your mind per se, although that is one technique. it could be listening to music and doing other things. Um, mm-hmm. I i tony robbins talks about something called the hour of power and um and and, you know he's a believer that you put invest an hour i kind of want to encourage people to get to that level at some point because here's the thing how many episodes of the kardashians do people need to watch how many times do you have to flip through facebook likes and instagram likes Why not redirect at least somewhere between those five minutes you talked about, the 15 minutes, or maybe even get to a point of an hour in really nurturing your own soul? Because those other things are merely distractions. And and God, universe, spirit is saying, I want you to invest in you. Like, that's what spirit says every day. I want you to invest in you.
0: But well, I, I yeah look yeah look at it as an investment. I would agree with that. Um, I, but I, you know, it's interesting. I've been meditating for I don't know how many years yeah. now, uh, and and I've been meditating daily for the last three years. Okay. Um, and I remember talking to friends about meditation you know, several years ago, and they're like, "I can't sit for five minutes. There's no way I could sit for twenty minutes." So we encourage people start wherever you yes. are, right? Uh, and and for me, I do several things. I have my gratitude practice I mentioned earlier. I take a, an hour and a half walk every day. I walk seven miles. Um, I, I do a formal sitting down meditation. So I do multiple things throughout the day, but that's where I am. Okay. So after. cumulatively
2: you're doing a fair amount. That's
0: great. Yeah. Cumulatively I'm doing quite a bit, yeah. but that that's, this is what I do. Yeah. I was <laughs> going to say, is, by yeah. the way, let me clarify. I don't mean all in one sitting <laughs> an hours, yeah, work, yeah. but
2: certainly get to that place. Um, are you familiar with the Hawaiian forgiveness uh, prayer?
0: I'm not. No. Okay.
2: So I, I'd like to share with your audience something that sure, really helps great. me. So, The Hawaiian forgiveness prayer is called the haponoponoponoponopono, and I'm butchering it a little bit because it might not be exact. Um, It's a very simple prayer. And it's nine words. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I'm going to repeat that. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And it's actually something that you can say to yourself. And what's interesting about this prayer is that it's, it's kind of like a, it's like an NLP pattern interrupt. So if you're ever feeling fear, anxiety, angst, melancholy, and I'm not talking about deep, you know, deep melancholy or deep uh, depression or anything like that. Just those beginning moments where you ever feel anxiety, say this prayer. And sometimes I say it 10 times a day, I mean, or 10 times in a moment. Mm-hmm. But it actually reshifts your brain patterning mm-hmm. because forgiveness actually means forgiving love. And this mm-hmm. is a great exercise to give yourself love. So, forgiveness, yeah. forgiving love. And I do this throughout the day whenever I'm feeling a little angst or whatnot. And so, there, like what you said, there's all these little things like gratitude the forgiveness prayer, maybe watching a video, maybe listening to a podcast. All these things are nurturing our soul, I think, Mm -hmm. on a healthier level than, like I said, the distractions of life because we can get so hypnotized by this little device.
0: Yeah, I think it's really, yeah, I I completely agree with you. And what I try to do with people is offer them as many tools as possible and say, you know, like, here's your toolbox. Here to, and and use what resonates with you yeah. and what works for you and as you said you know make it make it something you do throughout your day it, it shouldn't be it, it, Hopefully it won't be a burden. It shouldn't be a burden. It should be something you look forward to. You should look forward to your, to your meditation time. And if you're, if you're not looking forward to it, then maybe you're using the wrong technique. You yeah, should the, find something that works better for you.
2: Yeah. There's all different. That's the beauty of this. There's all, there's different cars for every human being kind of thing. And it's the same with personal development, find what resonates with you. And, and I'm also a big proponent. If you like one teacher, you know, listen to, you know, Follow them for a while and then follow someone new. Mix it up. Change it up. Um, don't get pigeonholed sometimes, although you know, I'm not suggesting abandonment. But change things up because variety is also part of the spice of life. And that's the beauty of those who take this journey of yeah. personal development, self-help, and spiritual work. Because I believe the end result is a much calmer way of being. Exactly. Where it's inner peace. Yeah. And most people are out for the pursuit of happiness. I'm in the pursuit of inner peace. <laughs> like, yeah. for me, that's my declaration of independence is the pursuit of inner peace, because that feels a lot better than shooting for happiness, because the, the yin to the yang will happen. If You shoot for happiness all day long, you're going to get the corresponding other side.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's really, a, another the thing that's really important is that we need to understand that you know happiness is is fleeting. Happiness yeah, it's is based works. on circumstances, whereas inner peace, we can if we if we can get that inner peace, we know the circumstances come and go. Yeah. So even when we are in those in those turbulent times that are that are raging around us, we still have that 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 foundation that we talked about, that core, where we say, "I know everything is going to be okay." Yeah. You know, uh, I, I know everything actually is okay. It doesn't appear to be okay it seems to be chaotic and it sucks right now and it's okay to say it sucks right now yeah. but it but i know at, at my core i know where my spirit is that everything is okay you know it's
2: interesting um my my mother who that's in the picture there my mom and dad my mother passed away 6 months before my son mm. so i had two big losses in fact my father who was never married 66 years before she passed um wow. she we, she kind of recounted her life. We, we had a little bit of fair warning. I mean, she was diagnosed with cancer and was gone three weeks later. Um, wow. But we had a chance to connect with her. And as she looked back on her life and she shared with me, she goes, I have so much to be grateful for. I like, I had so many great experiences and and uh, and she shared it. But what she said was when I let go of when I can when I leaned into everything is going to be okay, like life just got better because yeah. she, because she just reached a point. I, it's almost like the chapter when, you you know, don't let anyone fuck with your chi. When you get to the point of saying, you know what, everything is going to be okay. Even if I'm in bottom, everything is going to be okay. Because when you can, what did Steve Jobs say when you connect the dots backward? And I think you said that earlier in the podcast, is to recognize that no matter what challenges, most of the time we get out of it. The ones yeah. who don't is the ones who let melancholy take them down. And, yeah. you know, my invitation for them is at least try to do some practice on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree. And, you know, what's ironic for me is, you know, it took my daughter's passing for me to understand everything's going to be okay. Yeah, you know, Somebody told me this, you know, six years ago, she passed, it'll be five years ago in June. I would have said, no, no, I, I don't believe that but even though, you know, I, I I would do anything to get her back. I would do anything to have her back, but, um, I know everything will be okay. And I know she's still with me and we still have a relationship and that, you know, I will, I will see her again. And and since I've been through this, (laughs) everything else is nothing after that.
2: Hey, um, I don't know if we have enough time, but can I share something with your audience? Uh, sure. So it's interesting because I shot a video, uh, called what to say and how to date a grieving parent. I'd love your feedback mm-hmm. on this. So, um, cause I'm single and dating or I'm, I'm single and I'm out there. And I mm-hmm. recognize that, you know, when it comes to talking about my son, it can be a little bit of a, you know, a, a sensitive subject. Yeah. In fact, one of the things when someone asks me, oh, tell me about your kids and they don't know yet. I always say, well, my oldest lives with my, his mom and my youngest lives in heaven. Like So mm-hmm. that's my way of saying I don't have them around. So, But one of the things that happened in early on was when people kept saying, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. And I don't know why, but that triggered me because there's nothing for you to feel sorry about. And what I mean to say is you didn't do anything wrong. And I know the, the term I'm sorry can have multiple meanings. It bothered me. Right. So it wasn't until one of my dear friends said to me, it was like three weeks after he passed and I saw him, he goes, Jonathan, there are no words. There are no words. And you're in my prayers. And can I give you a hug? And what I liked about that was when you say there's no words, it didn't require me to respond to him. When he says you're in my prayers, it's like, wow, that feels like love. And he goes, can I give you a hug? That's loving. So you know, when, when someone says, I'm sorry, it requires kind of a response back. But when someone said there are no words, it's exactly true. Like (laughs) there are no words. There's nothing you can say to me that's going to feel good. So if you just say there are no words, I get it. You're acknowledging it without, because you know, there's nothing you can say to change this. And so when it comes to dating a grieving parent, I certainly would encourage, that's my invitation, and I don't know how mm-hmm. you feel about it, but um, that's just no. I resonated think, with
0: me. You know, it's interesting, because I, I wrote a book on grief, and one of the things I talked about are things to say and things not to yeah. say to a grieving person. And the thing is, uh, there are no words. And I, I said this, I think I said almost the exact same thing. Yeah. I don't know what to say, there are no words. That's the perfect thing to say, yes. because there are no words, and there's really nothing you can say. And me even being five years into this and dealing with the thousands of parents I've dealt with, I still sometimes say, I'm sorry for your loss yeah. because that's what everybody I know. says. We're so you know? conditioned for it. So that, that does come out. But what I'll say is like, I know this is hard. You know, I'll say that to people sometimes. I don't know how you feel, yeah. you know, but I, I know this is hard, you know, just acknowledging yeah. their, their pain and that required them to, to come back with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, you know, you know, things like that We just acknowledge the person's yeah. feelings with, without, you know, but it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult for the other person to do. It's hard for us as the griever, but for the other person, they don't know what to say. Yeah, well, that's People why I like, your-
2: There are no words,
0: you know, I, yeah. it's actually the one thing I do. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I was at a dinner with someone. And what I usually do, it depends on their relationship. You know, if I was at a dinner with a woman I was never going to see again. It was a, it was a business dinner thing. And we just happened to be sitting at the table with them. And she asked about my kids. I'll usually just say I have, you know, two daughters and blah, blah, blah. Then they'll say like, well, where did they go to school? Cause she happened to live close to where I live. And so I'm like, and then finally, when they ask the third question, then I'm like, okay, well, Shana, you know, Shana's in spirit, you know, because I don't, because people get awkward when you tell them that your kids, you know, on the other side. So I don't, I don't lead with that. If it's someone I'm not going to have an ongoing relationship with now, if it's someone I'm going to have a relationship with, then I'll just tell them up front, you know? Uh, well, From a dating a perspective,
2: recruit. it's kind of one of those questions. Oh, how old are your kids? Blah, blah, blah. And it's right. kind of like, yeah. I, I feel, and, and sometimes I actually give them the heads up before, like sometimes I'll shoot even a text message. I'll just, you know, before I meet someone, I, I want you to know this ahead of time. And the reason why I even send it in an email or text is because it gives them a second to process it. Yeah. Because when you're face to face with someone and they tell you this it is i i can only i'm i'm not at the well i am at the receiving end cuz i experienced it with you but I, I this is an experience i know i i can imagine how hard it is to hear that information and again they don't know what to do it's almost like deer in the headlights so right. i prepare them at least from a dating perspective a little heads up because i know that's a big that's a big responsibility to navigate, you know, emotional. responsibility.
0: I, I, I agree. And that's, that's the only reason, cause a lot of parents will ask me, so how do I respond when someone asks me how many kids do I have? Yeah. And I'm like, it's totally personal. That's up to you. And I suggest you rehearse it and think about it because it's going to happen. Yeah. And so I have, I I have thought about that. And the reason I, I hold back with some people is not because I am feeling feel uncomfortable talking about Shannon, because I don't feel uncomfortable at all. It's because I know it's going to make them yeah. feel uncomfortable. I'm like, and what, what level of pain do I want to put them through if we're just having a conversation standing in line at the movies? Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not going to go there with them. So that's, that's the way I handle it.
2: Now this is always, and and that's the thing, you know, a lot of people, and I I can already tell with you, uh, they feel like, like it's going to be uncomfortable for me to talk about it it's quite the opposite I want to talk about him ask me questions you know like you can say anything in fact I may feel a little sad for a moment because I'm I'm missing him but that's the other thing is I on some level I'm like I want you to ask me about him ask me tons at least for me anyway
0: because that keeps him alive for me That's a, that's a great point that we need to tell the people that don't know what to say to a grieving person. We don't feel uncomfortable talking about our kids and we're always thinking about them. So don't think that you like, Oh, I brought up something and I made you sad. No, they're always on our mind and you didn't make me sad. Now you said, I might, I might have, I might shed a tear because I'm thinking about her or I'm thinking about her more on the surface, but she's always with me. I mean, she's literally always with me. I I, I go, I walk into a room. If there's a, a medium there, they're like, Who's a little girl following you around because she saw was with <laughs> So I know she's with me all the time. Well, that's
2: I. I w- I. I want to end, or I want to say that for those of us who are going through, you know, this loss, and I can again only speak for myself. I want my friends to ask me about him. I want them to, you know, bring him up, um, because that lets me know that you know he's still around too. You know, so yeah. those that feel afraid, I, I'm just going to encourage you to, you know, ask questions, tell me a story about when he was five years old or, you know, tell yeah. me a story about her when she was six in sixth grade or whatever, you know, yeah. invite that conversation because we're dying to talk about our kids, or at least I know I am.
0: Absolutely. By the way, poor choice
2: of words to say I'm dying to talk about them.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I, but every, every parent I've talked to, and I've talked to thousands, yeah um, says that I want to, I want to talk about my kid. I like to talk about my kid. I don't, I mean, I think I shouldn't say every parent. Sometimes in the early stages, I have had, I have known parents that have said, you know, actually I did talk to a, a client that said, um, we don't bring them up, you know, her husband and her other son, they don't, they don't bring him up. Yeah. And I'm like, this is something we need to work on. Yeah. Um, because you know, they're all walking around thinking about him, but they don't talk about yeah. it. Well, Jonathan, we've been uh, going about an hour now. I really appreciate your time. It's been great getting to know you. Um, I want to um, give your information again, and then I'll ask you if you have anything you want to close with. Sure. But your website is jonathanaslay.com. It's yes. J-O-N-A-T-H-O-N-A-S-L-A-Y.com. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, the book is what the, is what the Heck is Self-Love Anyway. Sounds like a great book, so I encourage people to check it out.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so honored. I really – it's – it's, I've, I've done a number of conversations around grief. It's, it's rare that I get to talk to someone who's in the same, and we have so much similarity here with our,
0: yeah, it's uh, our kids'
2: age and everything and, and, and the timing and whatnot. Um, so I'm really grateful that I had a chance to speak with you because this actually helped me feel better as well. Uh, so I just want you to know that. I'm very grateful.
0: Well, awesome. You enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.
2: Likewise. Have a great day,
0: everyone. (laughs) Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I want to make it really easy for you to reach me. So just send me a text to 31996 and simply text the word growth, G-R-O-W-T-H. In fact, you can right now just say, hey, Siri, send a message to 31996. And when Siri asks you what you want to send, just say growth. You can do the same thing with OK Google. Thanks a lot. Have a wonderful
1: day. Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com grief 2 growth. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot slash grief. The number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grieftogrowth.com.
0: Hey there, if you liked this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grief to growth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.